Hello, hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Authentic Act. Uh, today, I have a new friend with me, um, Amy Perkins. Amy and I met off LinkedIn, and I started seeing her story um, probably a few months ago. Um, just saw this happy, energetic, this super passionate woman, and she was always just filled with so much energy, so it just kind of drew me to some of her videos. Um, what was new to me, though, is I really didn't know some of the backstory until recently and what led her to now being a consultant and a speaker. Um, Amy had walked away from a 25-year career in education, and her, her and I shared a conversation just recently about some of the things that she went through, um, you know, facing some trials and tribulations in her work. And she just came to a point where things weren't being handled correctly and she knew that things needed to make a change. Uh, so she stepped away from her 25 year career as a teacher and a coach for uh, newer teachers in the industry. And she has now started her own business and she's doing consulting and coaching now. Uh, so I wanted to have Amy come on and share some of her journey and just share some of her backstory, which I thought was, you know, it was real painful to hear. Um, you know, it's, it's sad to hear some of the things that go on in our work environment today, but you know, that's part of this podcast is sharing some of the authentic stories that go on behind the scenes and show how people rise above some of the things that they're faced with in their life and what they're doing now to impact the world. So welcome Amy. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm excited to, to share with your listeners. Yeah. So, um, you know, you and I started talking, um, you know, here recently and you shared, you know, with your story. So if you don't mind, you know, sharing a little bit about, uh, about your background in teaching um, and, you know, share that with the audience and how you got into teaching and what led you into, you know, mentoring and coaching later in your career. Absolutely. So I knew pretty early on what I wanted to do. I was lucky enough. I went to college. Um, my sophomore year of college, I knew I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And I had a lot of opportunities to do internships, to work different pilot programs where the summers that I had off, my six week winter breaks, I was able to work in classrooms teaching. And it was when I started in my own classroom at 21, I literally felt like I won the lottery and it obviously wasn't because of my salary. Teachers aren't paid very much, but being able to go to work, do what you loved every single day, that was a gift. And I saw my friends that were making two, three, four times what I was out of college and they were miserable and they couldn't wait for the weekends. And then here I was and I couldn't wait for Mondays to be back in the classroom with those kids and making an impact and molding these little lives and helping them believe that anything was possible. And so I had this purpose driven career that lit me up from the inside. I did that for nine years and then I became a mom and I just kind of knew because I gave my heart and my soul. I took kids. I actually had kids. This is 25 years ago. I was teaching in a Title I school, which is lower income. And I had some kids with really, really awful home lives. Some parents were in prison for drugs and murder and different things like that. Parents struggling in abusive relationships. And I had some parents that would ask me if I could take their kids home on the weekends. And I cleared it with my principal. And I did. Like, I, wow. these were my kids. I took them shopping for clothes. I bought them backpacks. I went to birthday parties. I went and saw dance rehearsals and beauty pageants and baseball games and went to their homes for dinner. So this was so much more than work for me. And I knew when I had my own kids that I wouldn't be able to teach anymore because I couldn't give all of me like I did. And I made that transition. I had already been doing consulting and coaching while I was teaching full-time. And when I had my daughter, when I was 30, after nine years of teaching, I, I left the classroom on a really high note and I went into only consulting and coaching where I could still make a difference working with those teachers that were new and helping them get a great start their first two years. But I didn't have to give all that I was giving when I was a classroom teacher myself. Mm -hmm. For sure. 
what kind of impact was that making on you at the time, you know, seeing some of those things, um, you know, and obviously doing, you know, to the best of your ability, being able to take those kids shopping and taking them out places, um, buying them different things, you know, providing resources, um, you know, as we well know, you know, things can be limited. Sometimes you only can do so much. How, how is that impacting, um, you know, you seeing all that firsthand? Oh gosh, it was such a gift. You know, I grew up really middle class. My mom stayed home. My dad worked for the state of California in land development and we weren't rich, but we definitely never struggled to have food on the table. Um, my parents were loving and it was really good for me to be this young 21 year old that really was kind of raised in a bubble to see the reality um, of what so many people go through with parents that are addicts, parents that are in prison, kids that are abused. And I just think that's really a part of how I have so much compassion and empathy for others and, and really being outside of, looking outside of myself and, and getting that lesson as a young person. And no, I couldn't give them thousands of dollars, but I absolutely could buy them a special treat for school and give them the gift of loving learning and loving reading. And being an avid reader myself, I always had contests going that everybody could win at, everybody could succeed because you were only beating your own Bet personal best. That's right. That love of reading in these kids that probably didn't have any books at home. A lot of them had parents that were illiterate. Some had parents that didn't speak English. And being able to have these kids that were reading two hours a night because they loved it and they were in second grade, like that filled me up. And I actually still have relationships with some of those kids today. They're married. They have kids of their own. And it's just incredible. It's incredible. And, and living that purpose-driven job is a gift. And it doesn't mean you're making millions of dollars. Um, I, I always had plenty. I started a side business. I actually did tutoring because I was just really driven. And I knew that that teacher's salary wasn't going to get me what I needed. So at 25, I started a tutoring business. I bought my own home as a single woman. I mean, there are ways to make it work. Um, and you can love what you do. And again, it doesn't have to be hustle, grind, and make millions to be happy. If you're doing something that you love and really making a difference, that's enough to make you happy. Hmm. Yeah, that, that really sticks out to me because, you know, especially now, you know, with technology and social media and everything, you know, just moving so fast, you know, we kind of get a, an insight in, in so many people's different lives. And um, you know, so we, we can't help but sometimes to feel like, oh, you know, I wish I was making more money or I wish I was doing this or I wish I was doing that or, you know, this person's doing this. Why am I doing, why am I not doing that? So that really, you know, says a lot about mindset and, you know, kind of where you were at at the time. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we kind of see outwards and, and where we are in life. And we sometimes and oftentimes put too much emphasis on the material things, right? Um, you know, my dad was a, a teacher as well. And my mom was a stay at home mom, you know, with, uh, with me because my obsessive compulsive was so bad growing up. And, and like you, you know, we, we never went without food, but you know, we didn't have extra or anything like that. But you know, it was having that mindset of, of being like, Hey, you know, it, it's an abundant life, you know, we have everything that we need. Um, so I think that really carries a long way. When you were transitioning, um, you know, after you had your children and you were stepping out, did that kind of impact your mindset then? Was that, was that affecting you at the time, knowing you were kind of going away from what you were most passionate about, regardless of money or income or anything else, you know, something that you're truly living your life for? Well, and here's the gift that I had by doing something that filled me with so much joy is I sought that out again. So here I was consulting and coaching part-time because I want to be home with my newborn daughter. And that organically, I was in this mom mode and I just, I loved everything about these children's boutiques that I was going into and finding these just really precious little outfits for my daughter. And I approached my mom and I said, mom, you know, some of these outfits I was spending a fortune on and, and I 
mom could sew. And I said, mom, if I design something, could you sew it for me, for Sophia, my daughter? And so my mom and I started making clothes for my daughter and organically, I had people stopping me wherever I went. Where did you get that outfit? Oh my God, your daughter is just adorable. I went into a boutique one day and the owner of the boutique told me she wanted to carry my clothing line as a line. So I created a business, a little business, creating a children's clothing line. And I ended up with sales reps. I ended up in boutiques all over the nation online. And it was another purpose-driven passion. Like I have just fallen into these things by doing what I love. No, did I make millions of dollars? But I also never went into debt. I didn't have to take out a loan. And I was able to fund vacations for my family and have this amazing opportunity to do a business with my mom and my daughter, and we would get together every day, the three of us. And, and those memories of that time that we had together are, are just so precious. And, and it was a gift. Were you guys making some of those clothes or um, were you going to different, you know, shops or, or sourcing the clothes from different places? No, we made them. And oh, then we wow. a where we hired seamstresses and I wanted to have everything done in the USA. I didn't want to outsource anything to another country. So we would pay um, seamstresses really good money, like 10 to $15 an hour. And again, this is 16 years ago um, for sewing. And then we did some home parties. It just was very organic. I had a website. I ended up with, um, there's a children's boutique that's still online. It's called Posh Tots. And it is one of the highest end children's boutiques. They sell this is going to sound crazy to you and your listeners, but they sell like playhouses for, for the backyard for kids that are like $50,000, $60,000. Oh, wow. Sell beds that are like $20,000. And I just approached them in an email and said, I've got this clothing line. I would love to have you carry it. And they got back to me and they were like, we love it. So it was so cool to have this relationship with this really high end, like dream client. And they would send me the orders and I would get these orders for penthouses in New York City or Beverly Hills. And I always wondered like who these outfits were going to. But again, it was another, I just have been doing things that I love and the, it's not the millions of dollars. And I think that's that gift that I got so early on in my life because it is, it's a mindset. It is not money. And I see people chasing money and they're miserable. And I know people that have a ton more money than we do. And they're not a fraction of the bit happy that we are because happiness doesn't come from money. I mean, once you have your basic needs met, if you're struggling to put food on the table, money does matter to you. But if you have your basic needs met, you've got a roof over your head, you can pay your bills, you can feed yourself. I am telling you, money isn't the thing that's going to make you happy. It's something inside. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people are talking about today is, you know, how do we get into that mindset, right? And, and that's what's impressive with your stories. You know, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're always trying to come up with that next idea. And I think oftentimes we're, we're, we chase that idea too much. And mm -hmm. we don't really follow our true passions and, and, and it can be right in front of us. Because I, absolutely. And for me, yeah. that it has been that way. You know, the tutoring happened, this tutoring business, I was making a couple thousand dollars a month on top of my teaching salary. And that was, I was out to dinner one night and a couple overheard me talking about teaching and they asked if I knew a tutor. And I said, I don't, but what are you looking for? I started tutoring their child. They told their friend, they told their friend. And, and 20 something years ago, I was making $50 an hour tutoring. Um, supplementing, doing what I loved in another way. So it isn't finding that thing. It is following your passion and that thing will unfold. If you're open, if you keep your eyes and your ears open to what's going on around you, the opportunities are there. Yeah. Would you, do you have any certain advice around where you, were you putting yourself in certain environments where you found that you're surrounded by the same types of people that you were looking to, um, you know, do these types of things with, you know, whether it was your boutique clothing line or your, um, 
you know, your tutoring or did those things just kind of align, you know, with you? Um, Cause you know, I'm a big believer in that, you know, the universe will kind of align us in a way, you know, once we're open, once we kind of, like you said, kind of let go of that control and we're just, we're following our true passion and heart. So what would you say about that? Were you just in the right place at the right time or are you strategically sometimes, you know, putting yourself in these environments where opportunities would open up? I think it was 100% the alignment that you're talking about because I just was living this pure life of joy and, and passion and doing what I loved and, and not having that scarcity mindset. And when you have that abundant mindset, you just get opportunities. I mean, it's happening to me again right now in my life. Um, it is absolutely, if you are a complainer, if you are a victim, if your mindset is such that that person got all these breaks, it never happens to me, you are going to stay stuck. Mm -hmm. My biggest advice would be work on your mindset. And there's so many free tools out there. I worked with a coach this last um, phase of my life. And I actually have worked with coaches because I was a coach for 17 years. I got hundreds of hours of training in coaching. And I know the power of mindset and the power of being a self-reflector, but the power of your thoughts, I cannot overemphasize the power of your thoughts. If you think negative thoughts, you're going to have a negative life. Mm -hmm. If you start thinking positively and you, and you ingrain that down in your soul, positive things are going to come your way. Positive people are going to come into your life. If you're surrounded by negativity right now and negative people, I guarantee you have a negative mindset. You might not even realize it, but it's a sign that you have work to do on yourself. I, I completely agree. I think, you know, we can kind of manifest our own realities, you know, sometimes. And um, I've definitely been there in the opposite side and being in that negative downward spiral and um, you know, you kind of you tell yourself certain things and your, and your mind goes out and does everything it can to prove those thoughts right. Um, and that's Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I've been there too. And I, that's why I know this. That's right. And that's what I want to talk to you uh, and dive a little bit deeper on because that's what really kind of drew me to you because, you know, seeing some of your videos on LinkedIn, you know, first time I saw a couple of them, I was like, all right, you know, she's a positive woman. She's really good on, on videos and uh, she's well-spoken and she knows how to put her energy out. But time after time after time, again, the energy was so consistent. And I was like, wait a second. I was like, this woman has the most energy and passion I've ever seen in my life. I've got to, I've got to figure out because there's, you know, there's tricks and tools and things that like we're talking about, you know, that you see, you know, the most successful people talking about is mindset, mindset, mindset. So what are some of those things and tactics that you've gotten and learned throughout your life to stay consistent? Because, you know, I think a lot of people out here listening kind of wonder like, oh, you know, it's, it's easier said than done, right? You know, it's like, how do we control our thoughts? What are some, some tips and tricks that you would give people and how to transition from a, a negative mindset into a more positive uh, mindset and have that consistency? and be able to catch that momentum. Well, I absolutely have been in that negative mindset, and I will tell you, you draw more negative. I mean, That's right. I could write a book in the time when I was in that mindset and all of the negative things that kept flying into my life, the people that were toxic, the experiences that were awful, um, and it was all because I kept thinking, this is awful, my life is awful, where we're living is awful, Poor me, woe is me. And when you have that mindset, you will draw in the negativity. And because that was such a profound, it was like a three-year time period in my life where I was in that, um, I, I just know it to be true. And then pulling myself out of that, that happened when my best friend from college, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And when that happened, I think we all have people that we know that have died or been sick, but this was different because she was young and beautiful and full of life and such an important person in my life. And so when she got sick, I started to become grateful really for the first time on this deep soul level and grateful for the ability to walk. 
grateful for the ability to sleep pain-free because she couldn't. Grateful for the ability to eat because there were times when she was so sick from her chemo that she couldn't keep anything down. And so her being sick, it, it gave me this gift of gratitude that I had never felt. And so I got out of that negative mindset, that negative space. It was right at the same time that I was in that when she got sick. And then she went into remission and got pregnant and was madly in love. And then he left her. And that, again, it was another experience where, you know, I'm married and I've been married, it'll be 19 years this summer and I've got two healthy kids. And, and it was that other level of gratitude. Like Tracy would do anything to have a husband. So even when my husband and I would argue, I would immediately switch into this level of gratitude. Like, how lucky am I that I have a husband that I can argue with? Here she is, single pregnant woman with no spouse to support her on this pregnancy, which is, I can't even imagine doing that alone. Mm-hmm. And my kids would get on my nerves and I would think, immediately I would go to that place of gratitude of how lucky am I? Like, I've got these kids that are, you know, six and 10 that, that I'm alive and I I can experience this because I didn't know if she was going to get sick again. And I didn't know how long she'd be able to experience that with her baby, which, you know, she did get sick again and she ended up dying Hmm. when he was two. But she left me with this gift of gratitude that literally transformed my life forever. Would you say that was probably been the, the pivotal moment when a lot of that awareness you know, kicked in with, you know, seeing your friend go through some of those things? Absolutely. And knowing how lucky, how lucky I was and how lucky we all are. Like anybody that's listening to this, anybody that's able to get out of bed, to walk, to feed yourself, like you have a lot to be grateful for and you might not realize it, but you need to start looking around you and seeing there's somebody that would trade lives with you in an instant in an instant. And when you can understand that, you can start to shift your mindset. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Um, you know, and I try to talk a lot about that with, you know, this show and, and how our awareness and putting that awareness in the right places can really, you know, change our lives. And it sounds like you had already started doing that. And then, you know, you had, you know, that outward, uh, experience happened with your friend and that was just you know that's that's when that monumental shift just came in it's like wow like you know you could really feel something like that um you know especially with somebody that close to you and you guys you know went to school together and obviously we're like best friends for quite some time so that's you know that that can change your life most definitely you know after- yeah, i think you know we all have people that we love that get sick and die and i think there's people like me that take that and really see how lucky we are. And then there's other people that just get sad about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, I am a proponent of taking pain and turning it into purpose and not just letting those loved ones that we have die and just be sad about it. Like using their life as a legacy that you can continue on. And you can do that by, by living your best life. And that's what I've done. And that's literally why I created my new life and my, my business keys to courage and why I had the, the bravery to quit my job. It all stemmed from gratitude and Tracy and realizing she doesn't have a life to live anymore, but I'm not going to waste mine. I'm not going to waste being in a job with toxic leaders. I'm not going to waste it with being surrounded by people that that don't make me feel good, that make me feel bad, and just not tolerating any of that and taking action to make my life better. I don't just sit back and wish and hope and have these things happen to me. I'm taking action day after day after day. Mm-hmm. Make my life as amazing as I can be. Yeah. What are some of your, your, your daily practices to keep that going? Because I know, you know you've shared some uh, information online. I know you're a big uh, yoga practitioner, breath work, and, and really are big on fit, physical fitness and health. Um, so share a few things about that and kind of your day-to-day routine and how that contributes to your mental wellness as well. 
Um, so physical fitness, you know, you hear mind, body, soul all the time, and it's just so cliche, but honestly, I didn't even understood what that meant until recently. The body part obviously is your physical body and exercise and the food that you're putting into it. And I've never had a weight problem. I've always understood the importance of that. Even when I was teaching, I would go to the morning before I would go to school and I taught kindergarten. So I needed energy. And part of getting to that level of energy was working out in the morning. And I've exercised since I was a kid and I've just so I have that, that body part, that physical fitness part dialed in, but the mind and the soul part now meditation and yoga and, and just putting things into my mind, the books that I read, I read two to three books a week. I listen to podcasts. I watch content on YouTube. I don't watch any TV. I don't watch the news. All that does is it like puts these stress hormones into our body because it's so negative. Um, that's really changed. That's really changed my life for the better is totally cutting out TV. I just don't watch it. I'll go to the movies once in a while, but um, I'm so sensitive to negative energy that it's really hard for me to watch without really feeling it intensely in my body. You have a, you have a certain routine that you practice each day. Um, do you have like a certain go-to, um, you know, I know some people have like a, a, a method, right? You know, they wake up, they do X, they do Y, they do Z. You have a certain routine that you follow? More, more so than a routine like that so rigid. Every single day, I move my body with some physical exercise. Typically, it's high-intensity exercise. I read. I surround myself with people that fill me up. I talk to a friend on the phone every single day or see a friend in person every single day. I think so many people don't realize that relationships, relationships are our wealth. And if you, I think a lot of people that are out that are depressed, they don't have solid relationships in their lives. Mm -hmm. You can't just sit back again and be like, woe is me. I don't have friends. Like, what are you doing to make friends? What are you doing to build those relationships? I've been lucky to have amazing people in my life with this give and take. And my friend Tracy, you know, when she was alive, we only lived in the same state one year of our 25 year friendship. One year we lived in the same state. And this is way before there were cell phones. We would make it a point to write each other letters. We did that up until she died. We wrote each other letters in the mail. We would get on the phone every week and talk for at least an hour. I make time for people in my life and those relationships, they, they, they put depression at bay. I don't think you can be depressed if you have rich relationships in your life. I just don't think it's possible. I think a lot of people that are depressed are um, living in solitude, maybe working from home and not doing that extra. I mean, I work from home, but part of the time, but I put in the energy to get out and to connect. And that keeps me um, vibrating at this higher level. So I think connecting with people every day, working out, meditating, and reading, those are four things that I do every single day. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head too, when it came to, you know, your, your team around you. And that's where you know, with Authentic Act, that was the whole premise is your awareness, your character, and your team. Um, so it's just funny that you mentioned that because I think a lot of times we don't put enough emphasis or we forget about the team around us and how crucial it is. Because if you look at anybody that's successful or in a positive mindset or is progressing towards the life that they're striving for, they've got some type of team around them, whether it's family, friends, um, you know, even if it's just a few people, it's, it's not about a numbers game, right? It sounds like your relationships go far and deep rather yeah. than worrying about having, you know, X amount of friends or connections or whatever it may be, right? That a lot of people, you know, put emphasis on today, but it's those deep rooted relationships that take, you know, mutual effort, you know, to meet each other in the middle of that. 
You are so right. And I'll tell you, I know for a fact, some of the people that have the most connections online are the loneliest. I was actually in a coaching group with Mel Robbins and there was a woman that she couldn't, didn't have a single friend in real life, not one. And she had like a hundred thousand followers on all these different platforms. And she was a miserable person. And she it's funny because I think I was that mirror for her because relationships were so important to me. And I, I would talk about it so much in this group that she would lash out at me a lot. And, and I think the people that trigger us, they're just mirrors for what we wish we had. And so do not be fooled by people that have hundreds of thousands or thousands of followers and look like they have a beautiful life because sometimes those people are the loneliest. I would rather have one or two deep connections, real connections, than any number of online followers. I think this online follower thing has become um, really dangerous to mental health, especially. It, it, it has, and I agree. And to your point about mirrors, I, I, I really resonate with that because I think life puts certain um, you know, obstacles and tasks for us in place and then part of that is the people um, I think that every interaction or encounter that we have is an opportunity to reflect back to ourselves so when we find ourselves upset at somebody or we get mad at somebody or we get jealous of somebody that's not necessarily that person that we're getting upset no. at. we're looking back at ourselves absolutely and and the cool thing is as I've been on this two and a half journey since Tracy died I I rarely get triggered. I rarely get angry. And I know when I do, that's something that I need to really peel back the layers on the onion and see what is it that I still have work to do on. And, and quite honestly, the things that are the most triggering to me are things that my kids do or my husband. It's not anything out in the world. And and it's things, um, you know, why is that making me upset that my daughter isn't picking her room up when I've asked her 10 times? Like, I have to figure that out. Those are the kind of things that, that upset me. And, and I am. I'm putting that mirror up and going, okay, this is not a big deal. Why is this upsetting to you? But the, there are so many people that get triggered by content online. I mean, I know this because people get triggered by me. I have people telling me to kill myself, telling me to shut up telling me to go away, um, calling me names, cursing me out. And I'm talking about living your best life. I'm talking about gratitude and compassion and giving tips and tools on living your best life. And so I know for a fact, this has nothing to do with me. Not one thing. I am that mirror for these people and they've got some work to do. And so now like it used to really bother me kind of in a startling way. You know, when you have a stranger that's telling you to kill yourself, but now I understand and I have empathy for those people. I don't take on their pain. I block them, but I have empathy because I know that I am that mirror that for whatever thing they have, they don't want to see. And, and it, it makes them angry enough to take their energy to then write a scathing, mean, angry comment to some woman that's just trying to give tips on living your best life. Yeah. And that's probably one of the biggest things I've been trying to apply in my own life. And, you know, every time I do feel like a sense of an emotion, right, I, I stop, I pause, and I ask myself, why am I feeling this? Kind of like you just mentioned, you know, and then you start learning these lessons over and over and over again, where it gets to a point, like you said, you know, there's not really much that really bothers you. Even somebody basically telling you to to, to off yourself, right? It, it, it takes a lot more than that to get through that mental barrier because you're so content with who you are and you're putting out, you know, such a higher frequency and vibration that, you know, you're, that actually is, is, you know, putting empathy and love to that person, you know, and, and not saying, and not coming back with a rebuttal or anger and an argument, but trying mm -hmm. to shed light and, and empathy, you know, with that person and, and hopefully impacting their lives as well. And that's something, you know, I want to touch on too, because, you know, I know you and I recently, you know, shared a conversation um, and what kind of led you to jumping out of your, you know, you know, your lifelong career when you did get into um, teaching and mentoring other teachers, um, you know, you kind of were faced with some challenges there and some people that were really throwing some deep hatred and some negativity and 
really crossing a personal and a professional line. So um, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of that and how you kind of, you know, and that's kind of lit another fire under you for what it sounds like in, in your journey. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that was a year ago, and I'll tell you, like, I wasn't sending love and empathy to these people. I have grown so much. And now I look at that situation so differently. Yeah. But basically what happened, you know, in my job as a, as a coach for new teachers, I worked with new teachers for two years out in California. We have an induction program. And once teachers get a full-time job in the classroom, they get a coach that works with them an hour a week and for two years to help them get through the California standards for the teaching profession and make sure that they're supported. And that was what I did and I loved it because again, I could still make an impact in education, but on a different way. Wasn't working with kids one-on-one, -on -one, but I was working with teachers that, that could then go out and make an impact. And I don't think that this is ironic at all because I've worked with hundreds of teachers now but the teacher that I was working with at the point where I made that decision to quit, she was my kindergarten student 20 years ago. I think it was a full circle moment from the universe that was like, buckle up lady, get ready because you've got some work that's coming your way. And as the year went on with this new teacher, she had an administrator. Part of my job was to work with the new teacher and their administrator to make sure the new teacher was reaching all of their goals and I was doing everything that I could do to help the administrator get the teacher where they wanted them to be. Well, it was the first time in my 17 years of coaching that I had an administrator that I got a really weird feeling from out of the gates. And basically the first meeting that the three of us had, which was, it's called a triad meeting, you know, I went in and introduced myself and he had this wall up that was very evident. And he, his first thing he said to me was, well, I used to be a coach just like you. Let me find my certificate and I'll show you. And he started digging around and it was the weirdest thing. And I was thinking, why are you doing this? But, you know, looking back now, obviously for whatever reason, he was threatened by me. Um, I had a stellar reputation in this district for 25 years, and I think he was about the same age as me, but I mean, for someone to, to then have to pull out some proof that they had done the job that I did, that was very strange. So that was kind of the first introduction that I had with this guy. And then what was happening next is my new teacher was telling me that he was saying things to her for feedback like, um, you're a know-it-all, you need to take it down a notch. You're a rookie, you need to start acting like one. Um, he would say things like, you talk too loud, you don't smile enough. Just really demeaning things. This isn't how you give feedback to a new teacher if you're an administrator. And the interesting thing was on her first formal observation from him he gave her glowing reviews because she was a phenomenal teacher do we all have areas that we can learn and grow from absolutely but she was a dynamo especially for a first-year teacher and she cared so deeply about these kids and she had another observation where i was in the room and he was going to be in the room and it was just super common for me to do observations with an administrator in the room at the same time. Mostly these administrators would see me on campus and, and say like, Hey, Amy, when are you observing so-and-so next? Like, we'll just do it at the same time, kill two birds with one stone. Like that was super common in my 17 years of coaching. And I never had an administrator that didn't like me because I'm, I'm just super easy to get along with. And I want the best for these new teachers. I want to collaborate. That's where I come from. So I was in her room for an observation, her second formal observation, her first one, she got glowing reviews. And this man who had been telling her all of these things, the man that told me, you know, I've done what you did and pulled out his certificate. He walks in the room and he looks at me and he walks up to her and he whispers something in her ear and he walked out of the room. And it was just really bizarre. And I got like a weird feeling in my stomach. I knew something was up. 
So after her lesson, I, I went up to her and I said, why did he walk out of the room? And she said, you know, he said he wasn't going to observe me with you in the room. And again, I just got a sick feeling in my stomach and I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel comfortable, you know, going into his office and talking to him because he had just walked out of a room I was in and said he wouldn't be in there with me in there. So she had to reschedule her observation with him. And in the meantime, I had reached out to my supervisor and told her what had happened with him walking out of the room. And, and I explained the other circumstances of things that were, had gone on. And, and there were actually more things but you know, I gave you like the synopsis of the important stuff. And I asked for a suggestion that I could give this new teacher because she didn't feel comfortable talking to him because in your first two years, they don't need to give you a reason to fire you. They can just fire you. Like if you look the wrong way and they don't like the way you looked, you can get fired until you have tenure in California. And so really talking to him about, you know, you're telling me that I'm too confident, you know, what do you want to see from me? Like that really wasn't an option for her because, you know, her job was on the line and I wanted to really tiptoe around this too, because I didn't want to get her fired um, by talking to him. So that's why I reached out to my supervisor. And the thing that floored me was my advice for my supervisor was, to have her look for a new job. And, you know, in 2019, we're telling women that are basically being like working in hostile work environments, like you need to go find a new job. I, I just thought that was crazy. And I didn't like that advice. So I, you know, I, I, I didn't share that with my new teacher at the time, but I didn't really know what to do. My hands were kind of tied. So fast forward like a week or two, and he did do her observation. And she called me after and just was crushed because it was a horrible observation review. And she went from a stellar review and she is a stellar teacher to this awful review. And he had actually lied on her review. Mm. And the example was one of the things on this, um, the teacher standards are, are the kids in a safe learning environment? Does the teacher promote a safe learning environment? He marked her in the lowest area possible. Oh, wow. And the craziest thing was she was an amazing teacher. And this is something that she had set up. And for middle school, this was unheard of. She had a box in the back of the room that was like a kindness box. And when you saw another kid doing something kind, you wrote what you saw down, you wrote the kid's name down, and she would give them shout outs. She would celebrate birthdays and she would tell the kids, you know, hey, sixth period, when you see Joey from first period, make sure you give him a high five, it's his birthday today. Like really wanted the kids to feel good. She started an after-school program because this was a Title I school, which means a lot of the kids are on free and reduced lunch because their parents are low income. And she would do the little girl's hair for sporting events, for dances. So she absolutely was a teacher that cared. I mean, above and beyond a teacher that cared. So for him to give her the lowest score in a safe environment was just a flat-out lie. And so that's what made me so angry. And again, I didn't know what to do because I didn't want to talk to him because he was already a loose cannon. So I called my supervisor's supervisor. And this is a woman that I had admired. We had actually gone out and on social, different social activities. I had worked with her as my direct supervisor in the past. And I just said, hey, you know, here's what's going on. And now she's got this review that's like a lie. And I'm just, I'm really nervous for her. I need to talk to him, but I don't feel comfortable talking to him alone because he walked out of a room that I was in. And I don't trust him. I don't trust what he's gonna say because he lies, because he lied on this review. And I need support. So could I get you to come with me to talk to him? Or could I get my other supervisor? Or could I get even another coach just to have another body in the room 
so that he can't lie about what's being said and take that and turn it around and do something um, vindictive. And my supervisor, supervisor kind of laughed. She said, uh, yeah, no, that's not gonna happen. And Lee, like that, it broke my heart. Like it didn't just upset me, like it broke my heart because why are we as women not supporting other women in the workforce? You know, we have these marches going on, but then this is what's going on behind closed doors. Women that might be marching in marches, but they're not supporting women when they need it. I wasn't asking for anything crazy. I was asking for another body to go with me into a meeting because there was a man that had proven to be untrustworthy. And so I asked her, I said, well, I'm not gonna meet with him alone. What do you suggest I do? So she told me to email him. And so I did. I went home and I compiled a very professional email. And I said, I, I, I noticed that my new teacher got a really low score on all these areas. As her coach, my job is to get her moving up um, into the highest level that she can. I want to help her get there. How can we work together? What do you need from me so that I can coach her to get her where you want her to be? It was super professional. And I sent this email off. And I didn't hear back from him. And the next morning, my new teacher called me crying and she had been let go. She got fired. And I knew at that point that this job that had, that had for so many years, like filled me with so much joy that, that I couldn't do it anymore. And so it was kind of that day that I, I knew that I wasn't going to be coming back. In the fall, I would finish out the few weeks I had with my teachers, but I, I couldn't do it. Yeah, that's what, you know, it, it really surprised me you know, when I heard the story and, you know, finding out that, you know, you went through, you know, two up, you know, two supervisors to reach out. And, uh, and like you mentioned, especially being, you know, another woman, do you think that they were more so concerned about their own risk and their own job at the time that they didn't see? Or do you think that they were oblivious of everything um, to begin with? Honestly, I, I, I know that leadership and education needs revamping. They need better training. And I think that too many people don't want to lean into difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. And maybe in helping me, they felt that it would just cause problems for them. But helping me was the right thing to do. And they didn't step up and do the right thing. And I, I sense went on and this, it upset me so deeply that I made a video basically telling the story that I just told you. And I, I put it on my private Facebook page. I didn't say names. I didn't say schools. I wasn't out to ruin anybody's career, but I needed to tell my story. And before I, I mean, it scared the crap out of me. I already knew I was never going to work in education again. If I, if I to, told this story, I knew like mm -hmm. even not saying people's names, but like sharing the, the little dirty secret of what really goes on. I, I would be welcome back. And I had a 25 year stellar career. I have three college degrees in education. I have a master's degree in curriculum design and and that is the only career that I knew since I was 21. But this was such an injustice that I just, I felt compelled to share. And I did. And that video that I put on my private Facebook page got shared like 50 times. It went all over the world. I think it had 5,000 views. And I had people reaching out to me in direct messages and saying, oh my gosh, thank you for sharing your story. I have an administrator that sends me to my car in tears regularly, or I have a boss that doesn't support me. And, and I just, I felt so alone. And, and so 
by me doing that, did I change anything about the, the school culture? No, but every single person in my county has seen that video. And I know because I had people <laughs> calling or texting me saying, Amy, I walked by my principal's office in a totally different school and I heard your voice. So these leaders do know that what you do behind closed doors, like you never know who's going to someday maybe get some courage yeah. and show you did. And again, I, I didn't share names. I didn't share schools, but I felt compelled to share the story. And maybe, just maybe, some other administrator will think twice before, before they treat a teacher like my teacher was treated or before you don't give someone support like me that needed it. Because somebody might make a video about it. Yeah, and I think what you said, I mean, it creates this ripple effect because, you know, you may not have changed like you said, the, the culture of the industry, but it creates this impact that, that carries on to other people. I mean, heck, when I heard, when I saw this video that you shared with me, it prompted me to go out and share my own kind of workplace wellness experience. You know, when I had certain, you know, people in leadership basically uh, ridiculing me for my obsessive compulsive and things like that. I mean, so it's, it's something with the workplace wellness, I think is rampant. And I think it goes on for men, women. I think it goes on um, and a bunch of different aspects and a bunch of different industries. And it's something that we don't talk a lot about. And it's something I want to try to create an initiative around and start talking about it more because something, especially on the talent acquisition side of things, I try to talk about culture a lot. But, you know, people think that culture is this fluffy, non-existent thing. But really, like you said, behind closed doors, there's some really brutal things being said and done to people that's impacting their mental wellness. And I mean, let's face it, we spend a third of our life at work. You know, you're, you're at work eight to 10 hours a day. And, you know, if you're in the, a toxic environment, I mean, I know for myself and even hearing your story that it can bring you to the worst places mentally. And, and that impacts everything else, right? It impacts your friends, your family, your relationships. I mean, you, you know, it's, it, it really is something that I think a lot of people don't focus enough on. Or and like you mentioned, you know, you know that if you say something, you're you're kind of blackmailing yourself, you're blacklisting yourself, you're putting yourself on the line. And so that holds a lot of people back. But I think, you know, as we start to share these stories, it puts people in a predicament that's like, you know, once the, the information's out there, then it's hard for these people to continue that behavior. Yeah, and, and I also hope, you know, for my personal industry and education. There are some phenomenal administrators out there. I, I do not think the leadership um, is up, the training is up where it needs to be. I know it's not. Um, but if you are a teacher, if you are in any job and you have a toxic leader, take the reins of your life and go apply for another job. I mean, that leader is not gonna change. The only thing that can change is you. Mm -hmm. and, there are so many teachers that would reach out to me after I put this video out that are miserable. And I just said, go apply somewhere else. And the response is usually, well, you know, I really like my coworker, but you know what, then that is on you because you need to be brave enough to get uncomfortable. Is it uncomfortable to go to a new school and meet new people and set up a new classroom? Yes. But if it is worth your mental health, get uncomfortable. You know, get your resume together, go apply somewhere else. There's not only one job that you can do. I also heard because in education, a lot of times when you switch around through different districts, you lose years and you lose money because they only hire you at a certain amount of money, but it's not a crazy amount of money. Some of these people were saying, well, I can't go get a job in a new district because um, I will make $5,000 less. And my response to that is $5,000 a year is worth my sanity. If I could have an amazing administrator and make $5,000 less, I would jump at that. So you really have to, we have to take the power of our circumstances into our own hands. And, you know, if you're not willing to speak up, at least go apply for another job, but just staying miserable. And when you say it affects your mental health, I mean, I was coming home crying. I was sick to my stomach for months leading up into this last thing. And now that I'm so far removed, I look back and I look at these leaders and the lack of training that they have in true leadership and, and empathy and problem solving and 
self-awareness. Like that man that was a vice principal, what a lack of self-awareness to feel threatened by a woman just because, I don't know, I was happy. I, I don't know why he was threatened, but but to walk out of a room I was in and not have the, the guts or the balls to even come up to me and say, hey, here's why I don't want to observe with you in the room. Like just to walk out, that guy shouldn't be in any leadership position anywhere. I mean, it's crazy. I agree. And, it, and it's sad, you know, we kind of, I mean, it happens in corporate America all the time. I've seen it from multiple companies that I've, you know, staffed and recruited for and kind of gotten the, the behind the scenes feel for their culture. And it's something, you know, it's, we get to hide behind this, you know, this feedback where we get to hide behind, you know, these titles and, and, and how some of these people got these positions. It really baffles me sometimes, but you're right. You know, there's a lack of um, tremendous amount of emotional intelligence. And I think that's something a lot of people don't put enough emphasis on is, you know, you're putting leaders in these certain areas and yes, they may have been a performer at a certain time in their, in their lane, but that doesn't necessarily make them fit to lead and manage other people. You know, just because you're good at one thing does not mean you're going to be good at another. Leading, mentoring, coaching, and helping others is a completely different avenue, um, you know, than maybe what you came from and not everybody's fit to do that because you're ultimately putting people's lives in you know, someone's hands. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the really sad thing that, that I see now so clearly is, you know, to become a, a school administrator, there is no emotional intelligence test. All you have to do is get the degree in it and go find somewhere where you can do the hours in it. And if you know someone like this guy did, he knew someone in this district and he got hired. So you're absolutely right. I'm sure something similar can happen in corporate. Like you've got these titles and then you know someone and so you can get into the position. But um, I think the more people are brave enough to speak up, to be leaving these companies with these toxic leaders, and then people will wake up and maybe presidents of companies will wake up and go, wow, you know, maybe we need some revamping in our, in our leadership. I don't know. I don't know what's going to take, but I needed to get myself out of that. That's and it was this gift. I mean, I was scared to death. I didn't have a plan. I'm very fortunate because my job was not the main income in our family. And I know a lot of people do not have that choice to quit. That is why my advice is if you are miserable or experiencing something similar to what you or I have experienced, be proactive and, and apply for other jobs because there are other jobs, you know, and if your mindset is there's no other job, like you got to work on your mindset because there sure are. I was able to quit knowing that I would be able to find something else, not having that locked in yet. And then six months later, I was able to replace my salary. Um, and now I'm at a point where it's just going up and up and up. And it's, it's that passion, purpose driven alignment that we talked about earlier. That's just happening for me again. And I think that's what's the biggest takeaway in, 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 the, in the constant message and all of your, your lessons and, and stories that you're sharing is that, you know, you've shown time and time again, that it's not about the money. It's not about the materials. It's not about the outward you know, gratification, but it's more so what is my mindset? Where is my wellness? And what is best for me? You know, what is best for me and my family? And it's shown time and time again from some of your stories that whether it's a job or, uh, you know, something impactful that, you know, happened with your friend passing away, it's you've been putting these situations where they weren't necessarily the easiest. And, you know, it's caused some pain and some discomfort and, you know, and being put in a position where, you know, you feel like maybe, you know, you shouldn't be in with your work. Um, but it goes to show that you, you, you respected yourself and respected your well-being more than anything else. And that, I think, separated you from a lot, you know, from where you could have been and where you are now. It, absolutely. But had I not done the work, that's you right. see dying and, and realizing what's important in life, I don't, I would not have had the guts to quit that job. I never would have had the guts to make a video um, ever. So, you know, I also live now, like, I don't care what people think of me. I am a good person. I live with integrity. I can live with myself. And if sharing my truth makes somebody else uncomfortable, that's not my problem. If you do come from a place of integrity and just a place of good, you're just going to get more good. And, and yeah, I will never work 
in traditional education. I don't want to. I'm grateful for my 25 years. It's got me where I am now. Um, I have a master's in curriculum design, and now I'm getting you know, hired to speak, and I can develop workshops because I have a master's in curriculum design, and I've done speaking for thousands of educators in, in massive groups. And so everything I've done has led me to where I am today. I'm just able to take this knowledge and share it with different audiences. And it's so exciting because we all have skills that are transferable. But again, if you're in a job that is sucking the, the life out of you, I am telling you life is too short for that. And so take those proactive steps to see what else is out there for you and start applying for jobs because there are amazing bosses to work for. I'm right now, one of my jobs, I'm a consultant and a coach and a multiple seven figure pediatric dental practice. I'm a coach for the entire team of 13 people. And this is a leader that she values professional growth. She values positivity and, and a culture of kindness. And it is such an amazing place to work day in, day out. And these people, they, they appreciate me and they say, Amy, you walk in and your energy, your positivity like, is like this rush of wind that blows all of our hair back every day. And it's just good to have you in the office and, and to have a group of people that all want each other to, you know, level up. There are places you can work where you can find that. But if you're just staying stuck in where you are, you're not going to find it. That's right. And there's plenty of, you know, it's that abundance mentality, right? You know, we can all thrive, eat off the same plate and help one another succeed. But, you know, it's a scarcity mindset that we've kind of been taught our entire lives or that society tries to, um, you know, ingrain us with that, you know, puts us in these situations where, you know, where we think resources are lacking, where we think help's lacking, but really it's all around us. We just have to remove ourselves from the, you know, toxic environments and to be able to see that. And more importantly, like you've been, been sharing, to, to focus on yourself, to focus on what truly draws you to your fulfillment and purpose, and then everything else will align from there. Yeah, and action. I mean, not sitting back and wishing. I mean, I have been taking action, and if I can recommend a book, um, to start taking action, because again, I was, I was literally riddled with self-doubt. I didn't have confidence um, uh, before my friend got sick. And the work I needed to do on myself was like that self-love and building that confidence. And what I needed so desperately that I didn't know was being able to lean into things that scared me like quitting the job, like making the video. And when you do things like that, your confidence builds exponentially. And, and the book that I read that started getting me out of my own way was Mel Robbins' Five Second Rule book. I mean, this book was pivotal on my journey. And I, that book was so incredible. I actually ended up writing down, like, I'm going to meet her. I didn't know how. And I've since met her four times. I got one-on-one -on -one coaching. I was, it was wow. live-streamed throughout the world on Creative Live. I flew to Boston. I was in studio when she recorded her audiobook, Kick-Ass with Mel Robbins. And, you know, that's another thing. Like, when you put your mind to something and you have the desire for it and you believe it can happen and you take action, like, you can make anything happen. Because I've been doing that, making these crazy impossible things come true over and over and over the past two and a half years. That's right. And like you said, you know, we can, we can know that we're supposed to be meditating or journaling or, you know, networking or, you know, changing careers, but it's one thing to, to do it, but it's another thing, you know, to think on it. So just thinking on something and trying, you know, a lot of times people think, you know, obviously manifestation and law of attraction are very much real, but they don't, you know, they don't act without, you know, action itself. You have to go out there and actually put things in play and get things in motion and get that momentum created or else you're just sitting there with a stagnant thought. So I, I think that's spot on. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Um, I, I think you've shared so much, you know, just about your journey and how, you know, people can take, you know, where they are now and know that it's not for a lifetime. They know that, you know, the position they are in their lives is not forever. And if, you, if, if they see a bigger purpose, if they feel a, a bigger calling, then that's where they can go. And it's just a matter of putting that mindset into action, getting out there, connecting with people, putting yourself out there and really taking the steps, you know, to, to pursue that life that you want to 
that you want to have. And so I thank you so much for, you know, sharing all this. Um, before we end, I, you know, I would like for you to you know, share with everybody where they can find you, um, you know, what your social media accounts are, how they can reach out to you. Because I'm sure after, you know, some people hear this, they would love to reach out to you, talk to you, maybe, you know, have you come speak at one of their events. Where can they find you at? So I have a podcast where I, I really go into detail about the journey and I give actionable steps with every single episode and they're short and sweet. And that is Keys to Courage. And it's on all platforms, including iTunes. I also have a website, keystocourage.com. I have, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Amy Perkins, and I'm on Instagram at Keys to Courage. And that's just spelled Keys, K-E-Y-S-T-O, and then Courage. And I just encourage everybody to really do those things that scare you. Align with your values. And if you're in a job where you feel that it's not aligned, like you were Lee, like I was, then that is your gut telling you it's not. And take that action because it's possible to live and have a career that lights your soul on fire. I've been there. I've done it now multiple times in my life. So when you're not there, you feel it deeply. And, and getting there is, it's the best way to live. Well said, Amy. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was really well said. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I've been hugely impacted by this episode, and I hope you have. Um, this has been another episode of Authentic Act with Amy Perkins, and I hope you all have enjoyed. Mm -hmm.